Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Wednesday, April 20th, 2016. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Beantown Athletics, your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery. Go to BeantownAthletics.com right now. That's BeantownAthletics.com or give them a call at 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. And make sure you tell them I sent you. And I can tell you, the boys are hot at work in back this time of year because when the springtime rolls around, that's when you get your local softball leagues, and, you know, this is the perfect place to get your softball uniform. What do you do when, when you get a softball team? You go to a bar, a restaurant, local establishment, and you get some money, you get them to sponsor your team, and you go get a uniform with that. Well, you can come to Beantown Athletics. They will come up with a customized design, logo, uniform, different style jersey, whatever you want. They can get it done for you right here at Beantown Athletics. And I know I usually promote like, I, I, I do promote softball uniforms a lot because they do a lot of those. They do Little League uniforms, uh, Babe Ruth, Men's League. They do uniforms of all kind. I don't just mean uh, to, to single out the springtime sports and the outdoor sports. It's really for anything. I mean, you know, fundraisers. This is a big uh, fundraising time of year. And don't, you know, anything indoors. How about bowling? Right? Somebody asked me the other day, you know, bowling. You got a, a bowling league? You got a little team? You want to get some t-shirts? Or bowling uniforms? I don't necessarily know what you would like on your bowling uniform, but I know people do get creative, and there's no more creative place to get a uniform made for anything that you need than right here at Beantown Athletics. This is the spot for you, your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery. Again, BeantownAthletics.com. Or, if you're in the area, in Dorchester, in Boston, swing by the shop, 132 Granite Ave, located right off of the I-93 exit and entrance ramps. So, I will begin the show talking about what the hell happened last night, which I actually, I don't know what the hell happened last night. I was all jacked up for Game 2, Celtics, Atlanta Hawks, NBA playoffs, uh, there were only two NBA playoff games last night. The second game was a blowout. The Spurs beat the Grizzlies 94-68. Spurs take a two-games-to-none series lead. I mean, to nobody's surprise, I know I, it was an 18-point spread. I told you maybe take the 18 points. Not saying Memphis was going to win, but maybe they would cover. Uh, that was obviously not the case, so I was wrong. I also told you to take the Celtics plus 6.5 because I just didn't think that it could get, that the shooting performance could get any worse than what we saw in game one in Atlanta. But as you watch the first quarter of this game, I mean, talk about the most frustrating quarter of basketball you will ever watch in your life, not even just from a Celtics perspective, but the Atlanta Hawks were no good last night too. The Atlanta Hawks were so bad that as the Celtics had a chance Like, the Celtics were still in this game at the half, even though they only scored seven points in the first quarter. Seven points in the first quarter. Who scored seven points in one quarter? The Celtics couldn't hit a shot. Now, they came out in this game, 
you know the result by now. The Hawks won it 89-72. to They whooped the Celtics. The Atlanta Hawks now have a two-games-to-none series lead. The series comes back to Boston. It comes to Boston, I should say, uh, Friday night. So we got two more nights off uh, to sit here and, and look at this one. So game three at the Garden. The place is going to be rocking still. It's on Friday night. As of right now, it opens up the Celtics are a three-point favorite. Three-point favorite in this one. Oh, I, 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 guess that's, I guess that's the TD Garden for you. I guess that's this fan base and them knowing that people are going to be, uh, you know, going nuts in that building. But, I mean, you look at the way the Celtics have played in this series. It, surprisingly, you know, game one, the Celtics was so bad shooting in the first half. I told you on yesterday's podcast and the day before that it was the most pathetic display I've seen. Well... That's until we got to game two. To begin this game last night, the Celtics settled for way too many outside shots. Three-pointers, you know, jump outside jumpers. It just, it, it didn't feel right. You're going, what is happening? Why are you getting away from what works for you? Which is driving to the basket. Then, I'll give them credit. They, when they found out early on that the jump shots were not falling... And obviously Atlanta's were because Korva had the, Kyle Korva had the hot hand early, right? Korva was hot early. And, uh, you know, the Celtics just, they seemed to be all over the place defensively. And I know they're without Avery Bradley. They were without Kelly Olenek last night. I'm going to forget about the Olenek thing for a minute. But just the Avery Bradley part of it. I, I watched this game and I say, even if Avery Bradley played, I don't know that this, I don't know that things would have been much different. Because you had guys like Isaiah Thomas and, you know, even Sullinger, Crowder, they were missing layups. Marcus, when they drove to the basket, they couldn't hit it, even if they got good looks. And usually Isaiah Thomas can drive and he can throw up these crazy shots and they're going in. He couldn't get anything to go in last night. Uh, it was, I said game one was pathetic. Game two was even more pathetic. And this was more frustrating. This was so frustrating that, you know, the anger has to turn to laughter at some point, right? When they kept driving to the net and they couldn't hit a layup. You're like, at some point, you're so angry that all you can really do is laugh and say, this isn't really happening right now. Like, they're really not hitting some of these shots? I don't get it. I don't get it. Uh, so the Celtics got whooped last night. This was, yeah, I, I don't, I know I was confident going into game two and I know I even tweeted last night. All right, don't let us win game three back here in Boston. I know I said that based on if forget about how the Hawks have played. Let's just look at the Celtics for a minute. Based on how the Celtics have played this, you know, you, you can't really feel good about this one right now. And, and even the optimist that I've tried to be, I feel like I have made a pretty good argument as to why I have been optimistic, even losing Avery Bradley going into game two. But if you put away, just forget about the Hawks and how they've played for a minute. Just look at how the Celtics have played. It, it you can't feel good about this. You can't. I, I, I mean, I, and I don't, I, I don't feel good about it, right? I, I just really don't feel good. Now, if you get game three, you know, you get you get a little momentum, and I, I mean, I said after game one, it can't get any worse than that. And what happened? It did. It did get worse than that. 
So I guess I could sit here and say, well, it can't get any worse than seven points in the first quarter, right? I mean, it can't get any worse than 31% from the field, 17% from three-point range. For Isaiah Thomas, four of 15 last night from the field, one of six from the three-point line. Uh, They were sort of swarming him whenever he did think about coming into the paint. And it just goes to show that, you know, what you need in this league in the playoffs is you need someone that can shoot the basketball from the outside. What we know with the Celtics team is that they're not the best at that. Their strength is taking it to the hoop. And last night, even when they took it to the hoop, they just could not hit, hit those baskets. Some were more difficult than others. Some weren't necessarily just layups, easy layups. Some of them were contested. But, but you know, some that we're used to seeing the Celtics hit, even someone like Isaiah Thomas, when he drives to the hoop, they just weren't falling for him. And it, it, it became, it was frustrating. You know, then you're angry, and then they miss so many shots that all you can really do is laugh. So look at how the Celtics played. An awful night for Isaiah Thomas. Amir Johnson was good. Evan Turner was great at the end of the first half. The Celtics actually outscored Atlanta in the second quarter, 21-19. to Both teams had 18 points in the third, and Atlanta outscored the Celtics 28-26 in the fourth. It's that first quarter that made all the difference. 24-7, to Atlanta led at the end of the first quarter, but then you get the second quarter. I thought Evan Turner was great. I'm on, I'm on Twitter, and I'm watching this game play out. They have to bring in Rosier. Rosier was, he, he had a few moments. He was good. But a couple of those times, Evan Turner's the guy that set him up with some pretty great thread-the-needle passes. And, and I'm on Twitter, and people are going, Amir Johnson and Rosier, the best players on this team tonight. I mean, Evan Turner just does not, he's just never going to get credit in this town. I don't understand it. What are we watching? What are people watching? I tweeted it last night. A possession in which Evan Turner does not touch the basketball is an awful possession. It's an awful possession. Right? So, I just, I don't understand why he doesn't get credit. But the Celtics, those, you know, Isaiah Thomas was terrible. RJ Hunter was brutal. And not just throwing up shots, but I mean, playing defense. There were a couple times where RJ Hunter didn't know. I, I don't think he even knew he was on the court. I don't even think he knew what, what, who he was covering or where he was supposed to be. It's like he never played the game before sometimes last night. Just the miscommunications, right? Amir Johnson fight up a couple threes. Like, we should never go to the box score and see Amir Johnson th- under the three-point category 0 for 2. I mean, we'll see the O, the O for, but it should say, you know, 0 for 0. Not not zero for two. Like he should never take two. Amir Johnson should never take two three pointers. But I guess that's where the Celtics were last night. That's how desperate they were to hit a couple of big shots. They just they couldn't hit anything, and they had seven points at the end of the first quarter, and that was really it. But when you start to look at Atlanta, you know they didn't necessarily run away with it. I mean they were up twenty four seven, and then they. As bad as the Celtics are playing, Atlanta got outscored in the second quarter. So this was, like, I wasn't, even at halftime, what were they down? 15 at the half, I think, if my math is correct. Um, whatever whatever it was. I guess I looked at it and thought, well, you score seven points in the first quarter, and you look this bad, and you can't hit anything, and you still are in this game with two more quarters left to play, knowing the fight this Celtics team has. I mean. That also shows you that 
Atlanta is, you know, they didn't, they could have ended the Celtics early last night, and they didn't really do it. Like, they, Atlanta, to me, in both of these games now, they have had opportunities to, to, to give the Celtics the dagger a lot earlier than they did. And I know, the score for this one was different, 89-72. And, and in the fourth quarter late, you know, the last five, six minutes of the fourth, obviously you knew it was over. But there were still moments in the third quarter, even early on in the fourth, where the Celtics get a couple shots, they make a couple stops, and Atlanta makes a couple terrible decisions. And you're thinking, at least I was, all right, let's go. Maybe if somebody can turn it on and hit a couple big buckets, and maybe Isaiah Thomas can turn it on, then, then hey, who knows? We've seen this before. It's not ideal. You don't want to be doing this every game, but Atlanta hasn't ended this game yet, and as long as they hadn't ended the game, you you got to be hopeful if you're a Celtics fan, seeing what you've seen from the Celtics team all season long. It, it didn't go the Celtics' way. They trail the series now two games to none. I was optimistic. I don't feel very good, even though they come home uh, look, I, I I'll say it. I don't think it can, can. I don't think it can get worse than seven points in a quarter, like it was last night in the first quarter. And as bad as that looked, um, but the other end of it, Atlanta hasn't really been good either. And I think Atlanta can play better basketball than they've been playing. The question will be, can Atlanta come into the Garden? How will they react to the way this? Look, I, I need to know what the reaction is going to be from from both of these teams with the atmosphere that you're going to get Friday night at the Garden. Because the atmosphere Friday night at the TD Garden is going to be so much different than what it's been in Atlanta. So much different than what it's been in Atlanta. And, you know, there's empty seats in Atlanta all over the place. And, and at the TD Garden Friday night, there'll be no empty seats. There will not be an empty seat in the house at any point during this game. At any point. I think even if it's a blowout, I don't think you're going to see empty seats because I think people are going to, you know, I think people know there's another game. And as crazy as it as it may sound and and as crazy as it might be to believe this, we've experienced in this town, we've been on both ends of it in, in multiple sports. A series that you either lead 3-0 or you trail 3-0. Crazy things can happen. And you know there's another game, and the mindset is don't let us win the next one uh, because then you never know what can happen. And and look, with that said, seeing how this series is playing out, I don't have a good feeling, uh, but but I'm, I'll be very curious to see how these teams respond at the Garden Friday night because it just doesn't seem – it's just – they don't feel these haven't felt like playoff games, right? The the atmosphere in the building in Atlanta, the the first two games, and it I mean it does seem like maybe the Celtics at times, you know, are a little too jacked up, a little too nervous maybe at the beginning of these games. I really feel that way, where they're just out of sync and they, they they're not themselves and and. They, you know, right away, early on last night, they're taking all these jump shots. I'm going, what are you guys doing? You had two nights to know what you're going to do in this game. I know they got Millsap blocking shots. I know they got Horford and his length and his reach and his ability to block shots down low. They have the presence in the paint. And, and the Celtics don't. But the Celtics need to know who they are. They're not a team that's going to come out and bring the house down with three-point buckets. They're just not. Now, 
as, as we move forward with this Celtics team and, and what we want them to do this offseason, yes, you see how this series is playing out. This, you don't need me to tell you. I mean, we, I've said it many times before. You've said it many times before. You don't need me to tell you. Keep telling you. The Celtics need to go out and get an elite scorer from the wing. And, and, and I don't just mean scorer. I mean a shooter. Someone who can shoot the basketball. Someone that maybe can, is such a good shooter that he can open some things up for the rest of his team to take it to the bucket. Because one thing Atlanta's doing is they know they're going to let the Celtics shoot. Like, if I'm the Hawks, game three, I come in, you know, this game, the place is going to be rocking. I don't change my game plan. I say to myself, we're going to let Sullinger, if Sullinger wants to take the outside shot, let him take the outside shot. If Isaiah Thomas wants to take the outside shot, let him take the outside shot. If Marcus Smart's in the starting lineup again, he wants to take the outside shot, let him take the outside shot. Jay Crowder, same thing. And, you know, if Amir Johnson wants to jack up a couple more threes, we're going to let him take that too. But we're not going to let them live in the pain. We're not going to let them drive to the basket at will. We're going to try to take that away as much as we can. If they hit buckets from the outside, we tip our cap and we say, hey, we're confident you won't do that again the next game. And and we're not going to change the strategy. I just, if I'm Atlanta, that's my goal. The scary thing is, the, the, the fear that I have is, I, I do think the Celtics are going to improve. I do think they're going to get to the basket at the Garden. I do think they're going to get some calls. I think that, um, you know, you're going to see a couple more of those outside shots go in. I'm not begging for them to keep taking them, but you'll see a couple more go in. And I think they really will feed off the atmosphere at, their, at the Garden at, in their own building. Uh, so I do think the Celtics will play better basketball when they come home. My fear is that, we have not seen Atlanta's best. Like, I, I'm not, I don't buy into the fact that Atlanta's this big, scary team. And, you know, if you've listened to me, I, I haven't been scared of the Hawks coming in, even after game one. But seeing that they've won these games and they just, Atlanta hasn't played good. I mean, this was an ugly game last night. This, the NBA, if they knew this game was going to look like that, they probably would have blacked it out in all areas, even in Boston and Atlanta, and said, you know what? You guys can't watch this tonight. This is going to be a bad game. Like, that's not... If you're, if you're trying to get into the NBA or the NBA playoffs, you the NBA hopes you did not watch this Celtics-Hawks game last night. <laughs> it wasn't... Didn't feel like a playoff game, one. Two, didn't feel like an NBA game. It just... It, because it wasn't, there wasn't even good defense being played. This was just missed buckets. And even when the Hawks, you know, they pull away and it's like, all right, keep it going. You know, all of a sudden they start missing easy shots. All of a sudden they start making stupid decisions and turning the ball over. It was just an ugly game all around. I don't think it's going to be as ugly when it comes back to the TD Garden. And I don't just say that for the Celtics. I also mean for the Hawks. And that would be my fear that the Hawks have, you know, they're up two games to none. And I think if you go in that Hawks room and, and you look around, I think, I think they'll tell you to a man, they haven't come close to playing their best basketball in this series. And, and that's a scary thing because they're already up two games tonight. So, uh, I, I guess if I had a game plan for the Celtics, given the pieces they have with no Avery Bradley, Kelly Olenek hurt, you got Smart in the starting lineup. I mean, I'd put Turner, I'd put Evan Turner in the starting lineup. I really would. I'd put him in the starting lineup. And Evan Turner played 33 minutes last night. To me, if he's got to play more, he plays more. That's where you're at right now. That's where you're at. I think Evan Turner, to me, is 
is the biggest difference maker. One thing I'll tell Evan Turner, though, is stop taking three-point shots. You get the ball, you're open, dribble in, give it behind your back, and pull up. Give me a fadeaway jumper. I'll take a fadeaway jumper baseline from Evan Turner than a baseline three-point shot. He can't hit it. 0 for 2 last night. Come on, E.T. Let's go. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the kid, but you cannot take three-point shots. You can't hit them. Don't take them. Let's go. This Celtics team, they need to start playing to their strengths. And, and look, they did start to go to the basket last night, and they just couldn't hit anything. I think if they keep going to the basket, though, from the get-go in game three, some of those shots are going to fall. They will. And, uh, you know, you get in your own atmosphere, your own building, and, and maybe you can feed off some of that energy. But I, I really will be interested and and how each team feeds off that because i mean maybe atlanta just gets overwhelmed with with what they're going to step into on friday night maybe and i think if you're the celtics that's what you got to hope because certainly atlanta they, as scary as it sounds they have they have some basketball to be played still much better basketball than they've played and and that's my biggest fear in this series. So that's where we stand. Just an ugly game last night, and the Hawks lead this series two games to none. Game three, Friday night here in Boston. The Celtics, an early three-point favorite. So uh, as I mentioned, the Spurs, they defeated Memphis 94-68 last night. Uh, There will be three NBA playoff games tonight. Miami, Their game two against Charlotte, that is in Miami at 7 o'clock. The Heat have a one-to-none lead in this series. Then you got Cleveland, their game two against Detroit. That's at 8 o'clock on TNT. That's in Cleveland. Cleveland leads the series one to nothing. And then the Clippers and the Trailblazers, that game in L.A., 10.30 tip-off on TNT. The Clippers up one nothing in that series. So that's what we have in the NBA playoffs. A programming note, I know I told you yesterday that I'm on TV tonight on Comcast Sportsnet. I got bumped. I got the message yesterday. Of course, I'm disappointed. I like doing TV. I do. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I'm, and I'm grateful for every opportunity that I get in, in any part of this industry. Like, I never take being in, those, being in the seat on TV or sitting, sitting down, standing, being in front of the camera at Comcast Sportsnet, I never take that for granted. I enjoy it, though. I just, you know, there's part of me that I st- I'm still, like, get- I know I've been doing it for a couple of years, but I'm getting, I'm still getting used to it. And one thing I hate is just having long layoffs from not being on. Like, there'll be times where I'm on a couple times in a couple weeks, and I'm like, all right, I'm feeling good. I'm loving it. Like, I'm getting, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting my reps in. You know, I'm getting the vibe. You know, the cam, different cameras looking at them, getting my thoughts in order, feeling comfortable up there. And then I'll have, like, a month and a half off, and I'm like, oh, no. Like, I, I was just getting into the swing of things. I was just, you know, I was just getting used to it again, getting more comfortable. And then I kind of lose that comfort level. I just, again, I'm grateful for the opportunity. I got bumped. Uh, but I feel the need to tell you because I, I told you yesterday I was going to be on and I was excited and, and I got bumped uh, for tonight. So we'll hopefully get another show uh, on the schedule coming up. I don't know when that's going to be. Uh, I guess they want more Celtics stuff tonight. I don't know. I do a lot of I do a lot of Celtics. I, <laughs> um, but I got bumped. I just, again, grateful for the opportunities every single time. You know, from my standpoint of me, because every... Th- Look, I'm always trying to get better. I'm always trying to improve. I'm always trying to work on things. And, and 
I just feel like the more reps I can get consistently, the better I become. And I feel like if I get a lot of time off, like sometimes I do, it's just, you know, I, I'm, I'm, that doesn't benefit me and, and what I'm trying to do, which is improve every single time. Like I feel like I, me personally, I all of a sudden take some steps back because I'm still trying to get used to the TV thing and that comfort level that, that does come with, you need it. You need to be comfortable up there when you're in front of the camera, live TV. Right. Because not only do you need to feel comfortable, you know, you need to make sense with the things that you're saying. You need to get your thoughts in order and you can't really worry about all the bright lights and you're live. And I mean, sometimes I go in there, I'm still starstruck with some of the people that I go on with. Right. These are TV personalities and, and media members that that I grew up listening to, watching. And all of a sudden, here I am standing next to them, sitting next to them on the same sharing the screen as them. It's awesome. And, and, but, but for me, you know, I still have this, sometimes I still have that starstruck feeling, uh, when I, when I get consistent reps that, that goes away a little bit, but then when I get so much time off, you know, I feel like I'm back to square one. Uh, I enjoy doing it though. It's just, you know, I, consistency is big for me, but unfortunately I don't call the shots. And, uh, unfortunately I will not be on tonight. Like I told you. I would. So we'll see what happens with that. But I'm here five days a week. You can get me, get this show whenever you want. DannyPicard.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, right here from the Beantown Athletics Studio. Uh, Don't forget, Beantown Athletics, your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery. Go to BeantownAthletics.com right now while you listen to this very show because I'm going to move on from the NBA playoffs and get to the Stanley Cup playoffs last night. Four games last night in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And there's some controversy today because of of two players. Andrew Shaw won for Chicago. He's just a dirtball. I mean, right? Shaw's just, he just seems like a dirtball. And, uh... This kid is, you know, I, I guess the way he plays is is something that you'd like to have on your team. If you're on another team, you look at it and say, wow, we want a gritty player like that who can show some finish in the postseason. But but Shaw crosses the line, and he showed you last night he's just a dirtball. Then you got Chris Letang, smashes a dude over the head with his stick. <laughs> uh, it, I shouldn't be laughing at that, I, but... The response from the NHL, there's not going to be a hearing for Chris Letang. And they say it's because they think Letang's arm got stuck in the stanchion, and that's why he whipped his stick at the guy's head. I, I'm not so sure about that. So there's not even going to be a hearing? They should at least have a hearing. They're not. So you got controversy with those things. But as for the results themselves, Pittsburgh, they beat the Rangers 3-1. to uh, The Penguins have a 2-1 to series lead. There. Then you got Tampa Bay. They beat Detroit 3-2. to The Lightning have a 3-1 to series lead over the Red Wings. St. Louis, they beat Chicago 4-3. to Now the Blues with a commanding 3-1 to series lead over Chicago. They go into the Madhouse and win. Uh, in Anaheim, they beat Nashville. In Nashville, the Ducks cut Nashville's series lead to two games to one. So you had those games tonight. You're going to get four more. The Washington Capitals, they have a chance to sweep the Flyers. This game four is in Philly tonight, 7 o'clock, NBC Sports Network. Little news on this one. The Flyers, this is late breaking news, the Flyers are going to go with a different goalie in this one. They're going to go with Michael Neuvert to replace 
Steve Mason. Mason has been absolutely horrible in this series for the Flyers. So they're going to go with a new goalie, see if it can, you know, spark a little comeback in this series. I'm not so sure it's, that that's going to happen. I'm going to ex- I expect the Capitals to sweep the Flyers and finish that series off tonight. Also, 8 o'clock on the USA Network, uh, you're going to get the Islanders hosting the Florida Panthers. The Islanders have a two-games-to-one series lead. That game is in Brooklyn. Uh, Minnesota and Dallas at 9.30. This game in Minnesota. The Dallas Stars have a two-games-to-one series lead in this. And then the Kings and the Sharks at 10.30 on USA. San Jose. This game's in San Jose. The Sharks have a 2-to-1 series lead. The Kings won game three in overtime. As you saw, John Quick, I think this is going to be another game in which Quick stands on his head. I expect the Kings to even this series up. So I'll react to some Stanley Cup playoff stuff and uh, the NBA playoff games that are on tonight. I'll react to it on tomorrow's podcast. I, I, I'm in here today, and I forgot all about the Bruins press conference. Luckily, I was on Twitter, and somebody tweeted it out that they were going to have this press conference today because I forgot. Last week, we saw GM Don Sweeney and head coach Claude Julien, and Don Sweeney committed to Claude and said he's remaining our coach, and they answered some questions, whatever you want to believe. I mean, I don't expect the GM to come out and give you his entire game plan in detail. I know some people want it. It's probably not the wise thing to do. I don't think, you know, he, I mean, if I'm a GM, I wouldn't be given any crazy details because that shows your hand, that lose, you lose some leverage, and you just, at the end of the day, you just don't have to do it. Uh, We all know the problems on this Bruins team. If you uh, follow in the Bruins and watch them all year long, it's defense. And today, Cam Neely and ownership, both Charlie Jacobs and Jeremy Jacobs, held a press conference, sort of an end-of-the-season press conference, a week after Claude Julien and Don Sweeney held theirs last week. Ownership and Cam Neely, they held their press conference today. I listened to the whole thing on the radio. And they mentioned defense, and they talked about, and Cam Neely mentioned, that defense would be the top priority this offseason, as it should be, as it should be. Cam Neely also said that Don Sweeney is the one to make the decision to keep Claude Julien. Um, okay, that's fine. We know they're keeping him. You know how I feel. I've told you before, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Claude. I'm Team Claude. I'm glad they're bringing him back. But... They tried to send a message today that confuses me. And I think, I think it should confuse the rest of the fan base with this Bruins team here in Boston and New England. And, and that message, and this was coming more so from ownership, from Jeremy Jacobs, from Charlie Jacobs. The message was that this season... They've committed to investing in the future and that they've committed to the youth of this organization and some of the younger players. Here's a quote to paraphrase from Jeremy Jacobs. He said, you know, we know you'll pay the price. Quote, you'll pay the price in this league if you don't invest in the future. They tell us that. They didn't just tell us. I I got the feeling that they stressed that. but. They said it in a way in which they try to tell us this mentality of 
committed, being committed to investing in the future, that that started at the beginning of the season. So as I go through the year and I see how they handle business in the Bruins organization and transactions and acquisitions, you know, you can't come to the trade deadline and not stop. You know, when you think about the whole season, you can't get to the trade deadline and not stop and think, well, was this strategy existent then? Like what? Because if there's one strategy the Bruins didn't have at the trade deadline this year, it was committed to investing in the future and committed to the youth of the organization. Like that's what they, the message they try to tell us today, what they have tried to do all season long is the complete opposite of what they actually did at the trade deadline. It's the complete opposite. Here's what they did at the deadline. They acquired a veteran forward in Lee Stempniak. They acquired a veteran defenseman in John Michael Lyles. And when they had the opportunity to trade Louis Erickson and maybe even some other veteran pieces, they refused to do so because they wanted to try to get into the playoffs this year. Now, anybody with any hockey IQ would be able to tell you that this Bruins team, how they played it out all season long, did not have a very good chance to win a Stanley Cup. And as we know now, they didn't have a chance to even win a playoff game to to help win a Stanley Cup because they didn't even get into the playoffs. But the strategy at the deadline was to do just that, to get into the tournament. Even though... Anyone with any type of hockey IQ would tell you that Lee Stepniak, John Michael Lyles, those two guys were not helping this Bruins team become a championship contender, a realistic championship contender. And and I'm sticking to my guns. I, I told you. I, I wrote it in the Metro. I've told you in the show. I told you on the radio. Told you on TV. Told you everywhere that the Bruins, their strategy was to just get into the tournament and they were not realistic with themselves. They just did not want to miss the playoffs for two straight years, and they were willing to make moves to to try and make sure, you know, that didn't happen again, that they didn't miss the playoffs two straight years. That was the strategy. But yet today, they get up at a season-ending press conference, and they're trying to tell us that this season, they committed to the future. They committed to the kids. They committed to investing in that future. And, And what you saw at the deadline was the complete opposite of what they try to tell us today. So, they're lying to you. Basically, they got up there today, ownership, maybe not so much Cam Neely, because I thought Cam Neely was good in certain parts when he talked about the defense being a priority, when he talked about, you know, he basically said, Claude is Don Sweeney's guy, right? And he, he you know, he, I thought, see, I thought the Jacobs family handled, there was a question late, I think it might have been from Chris Gasper, on the Boston Globe, where he said he looked at every team in his town. He said, hey, Bill Belichick, his name is all over the moves the Patriots make. Danny Ainge, his name and face is, is all over the moves the Celtics make. Uh, Dave Dombrowski, his name and face is all over the moves the Red Sox make. If you guys had to tell us right now whose name and face is all over the moves the Bruins make, who is it? Is it Don Sweeney? Is it Cam Neely? Is it Jacobs family? Charlie and Jeremy Jacobs said it's Cam Neely. 
<laughs> which, which puts Cam in an awful position because here he is sitting up at that at podium at that press conference table trying to tell us that Don Sweeney is making the moves here. And I thought Cam Neely actually handled that question by saying, uh, you know what, guys? Like, I got to let the GM do some things. And, and I let him keep the coach. And now he's going to focus on defense. And, you know, if there's one thing I'll say about Don Sweeney, if they are going to commit to getting defense and they're going to commit to getting what I've been telling you they need to do, get Claude Julien the proper groceries to be able to cook the defensive meal he knows how to cook. If they're going to do that, I will say the one part of it in which I feel comfortable is, one, Don Sweeney is not a, a dumb dude. We know that. He's a very smart guy. Can he be a smart GM? It remains to be seen. We're going to find out. But if there's one type of you know, person or mindset that you want making decisions to improve defense, wouldn't it be a former NHL defenseman who is a very smart cat? Yeah, that would be it. So, uh, you know, that's where I feel good about the Don Sweeney thing. And also he's keeping Claude Julien around and it tells me an awful lot. I like where they're going at the moment. Uh, but, you know, now it's the next step. Go get me some defensemen. All right. Um, you know, you messed up at the trade deadline. I don't understand what the Jacobs family's trying to tell you today. I think they're contradicting themselves with the way they handled the trade deadline. But, you know, when they are asked that question and they say Cam Neely's face is all over this, I just think that's a bad answer from ownership. I think, I think the Jacobs family gave some bad, bad answers today. And, you know, I've never been a big fan anyways, but... It's just, I, I don't, they're not very truthful. And um, I thought Cam handled it better than they did, that question. Look, it's a tough question. But I think the proper answer is, well, the GM, we've been sitting there all day telling you the GM's making moves. Isn't the GM's face and name all over the moves that are make, made if we're sitting there telling you he's making the moves? So, um, weird press conference, I thought. And and as I'm, as I'm listening to it, you know, I... And I see what's going on with this team and this organization. I really wish, I really wish Cam Neely just never became a part of this front office. Because, because I'm a huge Cam Neely fan. Like, I'm a huge fan. I told you, I got that, a, a poster, Cam Neely. It's a Nike poster, a Bruins uniform. Uh, you know, it's, it's Doc all around him. And it's just a little spotlight of him on the ice. And he's wearing the Nike helmet, the Nike equipment. He's got the Bruins jersey on. This is back when he was playing in, his, in the latest stages of his career. And at the top left, it says, he walks on water. And on the bottom right, it says, it just so happens to be 32 degrees. And it's, it's just, it's a strong message. It's a perfect poster. It's, it's awesome. But that's the Cam Neely I want to remember for the rest of my life. And now I have this vision of Cam Neely in which I'm just, I'm not a big fan of this Cam Neely. I'm not. I'm sorry. And I hate, I just, I hate myself for that. I hate myself for feeling that way because I know how, how much I love the guy as a player. Right? Going in and out on the, the, the Deeks in that one game. I mean, the spin move shot, the fighting. The, Cam Neely was the man when he played for this. Bruins team and arguably one of my you know favorite athletes of all time Pedro Martinez is my favorite professional athlete of all time in any sport Pedro right that's my guy 
But Cam's Cam Neely's close. The way he played the game, the way he represented this town. We talk about big, bad Bruins hockey. Who do you think of? You think of Cam Neely. And I know what they tried to do when they brought him in here, which was get his face, get his name back into the organization. So I guess there's part of me that does understand ownership's answer when they're asked that question and say, well, it's Cam Neely because deep down inside, they know that's why they brought Cam Neely in so that, that, that he would still be part of this organization and that people would see him and they'd want, to, they'd want to root for this team again because they love Cam Neely. But the more I see it and the more I think about it, I just hate the fact that he's involved in the front office right now. I just hate it. I, I don't like it. Because <laughs> it, it, I, I don't like where this organization is right now and... and Maybe they can change my tune and maybe Don Sweeney can go out and help this team defensively and you can get back in the playoffs next year. But you go back, I can't, I just can't get over that trade deadline this season and what they had an opportunity to do and then hear ownership get up today with Cam Neely sitting next to him and ownership just contradicting their, their trade deadline strategy, which I told you, I think comes from, came from ownership. I don't think Neely made that move. I don't think Sweeney made those moves. I think ownership told them to make those type of moves. And I think they had I think they had a gun to their head, to be honest. And then ownership gets up and says that, and it makes everything awkward because we all saw what they did at the deadline. Like, it insults our intelligence. And to have Cam Neely's face next to that lie on that same stage, I just don't like it. I just don't like it. I wish Neely was never involved in the front office. Look, he... Maybe he does a nice, maybe him and Don Sweeney do a nice job here the next couple of years. I don't know. I think we, you know, look, let's get, maybe we do, we just need to give him time and, and see how it plays out because they have assets and they have picks. They get two first round picks. Maybe they get nuts. I hope they do go out and get a top defenseman. But, um, you know, if they can't turn this thing around, this is going to look bad for Cam Neely. And, and I don't want to remember Cam like that. I don't. I want to remember him as big, bad Bruins hockey and being one of my favorite professional athletes of all time. And this is sort of ruining, seeing all this stuff and, and the anger that I have with the things that were said today from ownership and Cam Neely sitting next to him. I just, it's not a feeling that I want to have towards Cam Neely, but I find myself having it. And it's not a good one. So uh, that's what happened today. And, and that will wrap up my, NHL talk for the morning, afternoon. A couple other things that I need to mention before I wrap it up here. One is I didn't really watch this Red Sox game last night uh, because we were watching the Celtics. But what we saw from the Sox is that they did lose their third straight game. They fell to the Tampa Bay Rays 3 to nothing at Fenway. Joe Kelly, he left this game in the first inning, right, with a right shoulder, with right shoulder impingement, right shoulder injury, what, infl- we talking inflammation, rotator cuff, is, is that what we're going with? Uh, Kelly only lasted two-thirds of an inning, he threw a pitch, struck a guy out at 93, low in the zone, and, and he looked right to the dugout, and they knew things weren't right, and they took him out, credit the Red Sox bullpen for coming in and giving this team a fantastic performance up until the 10th inning in which Matt Bonds just threw a hanging curveball on a 2-2 count 
in the 10th, and Kiyomaya hit a solo home run, wrapped it around Pesky's pole. It put the Rays up one to nothing. Tommy Lane comes in. He allowed two more runs after that. The Rays took a 3-0 lead, and the Rays end up holding on for the 3-0 win. The Red Sox in the third inning, uh, they left the bases loaded. They had bases loaded, no outs, and they did not score a run. You cannot do that. I will credit Drew Smiley, Tampa Bay starter in this game, lefty. He has been pretty damn good in his career against the Red Sox. In fact, if you look at Drew Smiley's numbers, he is damn good against the AL East, the entire division. He's been great. Uh, and, and he pitched very well last night. Eight innings, only allowed one hit, struck out 11. Here's the bad part for him. He had a no decision. That's why you got to take wins, losses for starting pitches with a grain of salt. Smiley pitched phenomenal. He deserved a win, but... He gets taken out of this game, goes only eight innings. I, I say, I don't mean to say only eight innings. I mean only with regards to the game ended up going 10. So he didn't go the complete 10. And because he didn't go the complete 10, he did not get the win. Uh, but Smiley was great for the Rays last night. And the Red Sox only got one hit in this game. I got news from him. It's not going to get any easier tonight at Fenway. Chris Archer on the mound for the Rays. And if there's one thing you could say about Chris Archer in this early season, uh, for the 27-year-old right-handed pitcher, flamethrower for the Rays, if there's one thing you can say, it's that Chris Archer's due. He's due for a for a dominant performance. Because Chris, Chris Archer, to begin the season, 0-3, With a 5.87 ERA, Archer has yet to get out of the sixth inning in his three starts this season. So Archer has not been very good. He does have 23 strikeouts in 15 and a third innings pitched, but uh, he's let up five home runs in his three starts and, again, has not been able to get out of the sixth inning. So I don't know if Archer's going to come out tonight and – he's going to turn things around and this is going to be the game that he's due to have a big performance or, or or what, but he has not been the absolute stud. That's going to give you seven, eight innings uh, so far this season. And for the Red Sox tonight, Rick Porcello is on the mound. He's coming off a great start that we saw against Toronto. What last Friday night, Porcello's two and all. Uh, now, he's allowed two home runs in each of his first two starts. They were both against Toronto. If you're looking at Porcello against the Tampa Bay Rays, he faced the Rays four times last year. Porcello went 2-1 and one with a 2.67 ERA. I expect Christian Vasquez back behind the plate tonight. You saw Porcello pitching with conviction for the first time, I thought, Uh, in a Red Sox uniform on Friday night against Toronto. And I think a lot of that has to do with the confidence that Christian Vasquez shows behind the plate. Uh, So uh, you're looking for Porcello to continue to build on that. Vasquez is going to be huge with that. Porcello on the mound. And then Acha, real quick, one other stat. This This is pretty interesting. Acha is looking for his first win since August 31st of last season versus the Orioles. Since that win, August 31st, against the Orioles last year, Chris Acha is 0-6 with a 5.83 ERA in nine starts. So, Acha, I, I guess he is due. Will it, will it come tonight? Will he get that? That victory tonight and that game in which he can get through seven and, and only allow one or two runs? 
I'm not so sure, but uh, I have a lot of confidence in what Kristen Vasquez has been able to do with this staff. And, uh, you know, Rick Porcello, if, if, look, if he can pitch with the conviction that he pitched with Friday night, then, then he's going to give this team a chance to win. Uh, and, and I do credit Christian Vasquez. The Christian Vasquez effect is real. So I will react to this Red Sox game on tomorrow's podcast. And uh, finally, a story that broke yesterday, which I was shocked. And I think the entire sports world was shocked, especially the MMA world. In the UFC yesterday, randomly, we got a tweet. Just a random tweet from Conor McGregor. All right, just a random tweet from featherweight champ Conor McGregor. Here's what he tweeted. He said, quote, I have decided to retire young. Thanks for the cheese. Catches later. That's coming from Conor McGregor. And there's a lot of people that read that tweet and thought to themselves, there's no way this is serious. There's no way he is telling the truth. Um, later on in the day, Dana White gets on SportsCenter and he tells us that he has pulled McGregor from UFC 200, which we know McGregor having a rematch with Nate Diaz. Diaz got McGregor to tap out not too long ago. Non-title fight. McGregor goes up to 170 uh, to to match Diaz. And, you know, McGregor's usually 145, right? He was going to get to 155 to fight Dos Anjos for his title. I told, you know, I read you the quotes when, when this fight was agreed upon this rematch that Dana White and Lorenzo, they went to McGregor's house, right? Or his hotel room or what? They went and visited with McGregor and they tried to get him to get back to the featherweight and defend his title against Aldo again, or against someone to defend his featherweight title. And McGregor was just obsessed with the rematch with Diaz. So, they're getting ready, and according to Dana White, he goes on SportsCenter yesterday, he says he's pulled McGregor from this rematch because McGregor would not show up to a press conference that they wanted him to, what, fly in to Vegas? And, and McGregor wouldn't do it. McGregor would not fly in for the promotional activities, which Dana White says are mandatory. Uh, now, Dana White in the past has run into the situation where fighters have not wanted to show up for the promotional activities, for the press conferences, which is so very big for this company, as you know, especially when McGregor's there, because all the guy does is run his mouth at these press conferences, and, and, and it's entertainment at the end of the day. And UFC needs that to promote these fights. Uh, and, and Dana White in the past, he has actually pulled someone from a fight because they have not wanted to show up. My question is this. Here's my question, and I, I don't have an answer to it. I do have a theory, and I'm going to give it. Um, if you have a different theory, you know, tweet me, at Danny Picard, and maybe I'll read it in the show if it's intelligent enough a theory. Don't just be typical pound in your chest. You're a big UFC guy, and you're a season ticket holder, and you don't like when, other, when, when non-season ticket holders talk about your sport. You get that a lot with UFC, much like you get it with soccer. But, you know, I pay attention to enough of the big fights in UFC and boxing where I, I feel like, you know, maybe at least respect my theories a little bit. Sometimes you don't get that. But if you have a theory, certainly tweet me. And if it's good enough, I'll read it on the show. I, I, my question is this. 
what came first? Did Conor McGregor say, I'm done with the sport? I just don't have it in me anymore? And is he even telling the truth? And that will lead to my theory, but and I'll get to that in a minute. My question is, what came first? McGregor throwing this tweet out there, telling Dana White he's done for whatever reason. Did that come first? Or did Dana White pull him because he wouldn't show up to a press conference and then Conor McGregor came out with this tweet? Like, I think that's a big deal, the answer to that question. Because, you know, my th- here's my theory. I'll just tell you my theory. My theory is that McGregor sent this tweet out and told Dana White that he's retiring. And, and my theory is that McGregor feels he's owed something. Because he's even said it on Twitter. He said, you know, I've made this company so much money. Uh, I've made all you other fighters, all these, all these big money fights. And I've made this company bigger. And I don't even get a thank you. Right, he's tweeted that recently, and and I don't think he just tweets that to stir the pot. I think that's how he feels. I mean, you watch his press conference. I played one for you on this show a couple months ago, in which a kid's interview him in the locker room, and I think it's one of the it's one of the best interviews that Conor McGregor's had because it's not just this shit talking interview where he's calling out a guy at a press conference and being a complete asshole. I think he he's being honest, he's being truthful, and he's he's ripping open his chest and he's telling us how how he feels and and. You know, the kid asked him, he said, you know, you're pretty much doing whatever you want right now. And, and McGregor interrupted him. He goes, yeah, I am. He goes, I'm living the whatever the fuck I want life. I do whatever the fuck I want. I take whatever the fuck I want. And nobody could do anything about it. <laughs> it was a great quote. Because he's right. He is living the whatever the fuck he wants life. And he's done so much for this company. And he's going to bring in so much more moving forward if he does continue to fight that I think he knows the type of leverage that he has here. And whatever he wants, I don't know if it's more money. I don't know if it's some extra benefits like private flights. I have no idea what he wants. A different type of fight, you know, get more guaranteed title shots in the future. I don't know what he wants. But it sounds to me, he sends this tweet out in a negotiation tool tactic because he wants something else. And if he's not getting it, well, now he's going to play hardball. Now he knows. He knows how much leverage he has. He knows that Dana White, UFC, I don't know if you can say they need Conor McGregor, but they certainly want him. They say, you know, <laughs> they obviously want him in the sport rather than outside of the sport. And what they don't want to see is McGregor actually go through a retirement and show up at WrestleMania 33 and be the next big thing in the WWE, like Brock Lesnar. Like, they do not want that, okay? Um, and, and I've tweeted out that maybe that could happen. And it's funny because Twitter goes nuts because they look at who Conor McGregor started following recently on Twitter. And this could just be all part of his negotiation tool, tactic, and plan. He started following, like, Vince McMahon, Shane McMahon, Stephanie McMahon, Triple H. <laughs> like, that could all be part of his plan, right? And, and and most likely it is. I've tweeted and teased that, hey, Vince McMahon maybe gave him a blank check and Conor McGregor couldn't refuse and, you know, he's going to go off to the WWE and be a superstar. 
And, uh, you know, that's it for him. You know, I'm not going to completely rule it out, but if you put a gun to my head right now, I tell you, he's just using all this stuff and this retirement and following WWE people on Twitter as a negotiation tactic because he wants something more. He wants something better. I don't know what that better is. I don't know what that more is. It's probably money, but he wants more of it. And he knows at the end of the day, he can probably get it. So then when you hear Dana White come out and say that he's pulled McGregor from this fight, um, I don't know that that's it. He could throw him back on the card. He could throw him back on the card to fight someone else. We've actually seen that before. He's pulled people from fights, and then he's put them back on the same card just against a different opponent. So we could see that. McGregor is going to keep training and be an animal. McGregor is not going to see this and just jump on the couch. You know, if this is a negotiation tactic, um, you know, he's not going to jump on the couch and just start eating fucking potato chips every day and ordering pizza. Like, that's not what he's going to do. And so I don't believe he's officially retired. I think he's using it as a negotiation tactic. And I think Dana White comes out and says he's pulling him from the fight because Dana White needs to make it look like he has power. And all of a sudden, this has become a public negotiation. It has. I got news for you. McGregor's going to win this negotiation. He's going to win it. And I, I, I wouldn't rule out that he's completely off this UFC 200 card. I'm not going there yet. I don't, I'm not going there. I'm really not. Now, the one thing, if you want to maybe try to dig a little bit deeper and get into McGregor's head and his heart a little bit, you do need to mention that not too long ago, uh, McGregor was in attendance. He was in attendance earlier this month for a fight in which a UFC, uh, an MMA fight in which a, a fighter died from injuries that he suffered in the fight. McGregor was cage side, right? It was in Dublin. And here's the message that Conor McGregor put on Facebook last week. He said, quote, to see a young man doing what he loves, competing for a chance at a better life, and then to have it taken away is truly heartbreaking. End quote. And and there are certainly some theories out there that the people who believe McGregor is actually retiring and that this has nothing to do with negotiations. Um, they believe that maybe this is something that has rattled him a little bit and has made him rethink what he has, knowing how much money he has made, that he is basically set for life, that at the end of the day, he really doesn't have to do this anymore if he doesn't want to. And, you know, having seen what he saw earlier this month, and, and knowing how heartbreaking it is, maybe he sees that and he does step away. I mean, that, that's been a theory of some people. I, I don't know. Again, we don't know. I have no idea. My theory is that I've seen the competitor in McGregor. We know he's obsessed. And I just don't think that he's retiring. I think it's a negotiation. I think it's a negotiation gone public, as you then saw with Dana White. Because I think that if McGregor was going to retire, I'm not so sure he would go about it that way. I don't think he's going about it on Twitter like that with a message. I just don't. I just don't. Uh, Now, if Vincent Mann wants to come up with a blank check right now and say, Connor, put in your price. We're going to throw you in the main event at WrestleMania. then, (laughs) then, then, Then they'll do that. And I actually would love to see that happen because McGregor's so good in the mic. I do think he'd be great there. I think he'd be, I think he'd be the best, maybe the best we've ever seen. 
you might have to get that dump buddy dump button ready. So if he swears on Monday Night Raw with the mic in his face, you know, that could be something you got to bleep out. But, um, and there's certainly potential that could happen. But Conor McGregor, I think realistically that won't happen. I, I think he'll fight again. And I wouldn't rule out that he does actually fight in UFC 200. And that all this stuff here is just now a public negotiation. A negotiation gone public. McGregor wants more of something. Dana White is going to play... Is going to play his his card here. Is going to play up the the power role. Hey, at the end of the day, we you know we love McGregor, but but this sport isn't just about one person. And he lives by as great as he is. He lives under the same rules and, and plays by the same rules as everybody else. And in the past, if guys don't want to come to the mandatory promotional stuff, we'll pull him from the card. That's it. Uh, and 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 that's he's he's playing the power role right now, Dana White. And and. At the end of the day, I think McGregor wins this negotiation, if that's what it is. But that's my theory, that it is just a negotiation, and that McGregor is not retired. We haven't seen the last of him. And you haven't heard the last of me. I'm here five days a week. Get this show at dannypicard.com. Also, subscribe on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere podcasts are available. Once again, I'm not on TV tonight. I know I told you I was. I am not. Uh, but I'm back here in the Beantown Athletics studio tomorrow. Beantown Athletics, your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery. Go to BeantownAthletics.com right now. That's BeantownAthletics.com. Or give them a call, 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. I know as you listen to this, either at work or driving around, uh, putting it on your iPhone or any phone that you have and putting it on your speakers in your car, I know that you're playing in a softball league and that you're looking and thinking and talking to your friends about what uniforms you're going to have. Look no further. Come into Beantown. Talk with Pete and the boys, and they will come up with a customized design for you and your team. Don't just play good. Look good doing it, and don't just look good. Look great. And as I mentioned, not just softball. I don't know. You into you got a bowling league this spring? You got any other type of league? I mean, you know, wiffle ball, you're running wiffle ball tournaments. I know people who run tournaments, street hockey, wiffle ball. You want t-shirts for those tournaments? Of course you do. Get them done right here at Beantown Athletics. And I'll be back in the Beantown Athletics studio tomorrow. Talk to you then.